Hey, Sean Hannity here. If you're in a situation where you feel threatened, well, instinct, that might drive you to reach for a lethal means immediately. But we all want to avoid the irreversible consequences of using deadly force. Now, enter the Burner Less Lethal Pistol Launcher. It is equipped with tear gas and kinetic ammo. It can incapacitate any attacker for up to 40 minutes. It's legal in all 50 states. It requires no background checks, and it can be shipped right to your door. Go to their website, byrna.com slash Hannity right now, and you'll get 10% off. Joe Biden wants you taxed to the brink, under the thumb of the IRS, and controlled with a digital dollar. That's why thousands of hardworking patriotic Americans are opting out by diversifying their savings with the top-rated precious metals company, Gold Co., Right now, GoldCo is offering up to $10,000 in bonus silver, but only while supplies last. So don't wait. Go to HannityGold.com to learn how to get started today. That's HannityGold.com. Hey, we're all looking to save, especially on medical bills, but where do you start? Now, unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings, well, it can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and they flag errors like overbilling or wrong codes and fraud. And you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, saving starts with knowing where to look. Go to their website. It's HealthLock.com today before you see any other healthcare provider. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. Okay, winter is on the way, and if you listen to this show, you know there's only one product that I absolutely rely on when I get a sore throat or a scratchy throat, and that's the delicious Pine Brothers Softish Throat Drops. Now, it's the only throat drop that is ranked number one in throat coating action, number one. And I mean, you can literally feel it, that coating of your throat with their gum acacia, their plant glycerin, and of course, their delicious natural flavors. Now, they're amazing. My favorite is wild cherry and licorice. I also love the honey and licorice. Now, I've turned a lot of people onto Pine Brothers. You want to know the first three things that come out of their mouth? One, they're delicious. I can feel them coat my throat, and wow, they're soft, almost like a gummy bear. Yeah, I know they're soft. That's why they're called Pine Brothers Softish Throat Drops. Now, work with me, people. So this season, look, you're going to have some throat issues and do what I do to soothe my golden throat. I use Pine Brothers Throat Drops. You will love this product. It's worth every penny. You can find Pine Brothers at CVS, Select, Walmart, Target, ShopRite. Why? Because they are the best. Dear Mr. President. Dear Mr. President. Dear Mr. President. I'm excited for a political outsider that can solve the disconnect between the American citizens and the legislators in Washington. When you speak on things that make me feel uncomfortable or I disagree with, you make me feel small because I know I can't change it. I want you to know that I don't like your definition of American because I don't seem to fit within it. Most of my family is black. I'm afraid that you're going to hurt some of us blacks. Right now, you're just kind of in the middle. You're swaying towards bad, but I think you can switch back to good. You are here attempting to whitewash America. You're going to separate me away from my family. And I really don't want that because I love them so much. You are feared among many. However, you have time to build upon that. Some of my friends are really scared about you building a wall and the travel ban because a lot of their families live in different places. Well, maybe next time, just 
sit down in a quiet room and fully think about what you're going to do before you do it. It's not fair for refugees. There is no need to garner so much hate for countries based on the actions of a single group or organization. Dear Mr. President, I want you to know that us kids are not always wrong. You may be the most powerful man in the country, but you are still the servant to every single one of us. Dear Mr. President. Dear Mr. President. Dear Mr. Trump. Congratulations on winning the election. In the face of political elitism, you provided a much-needed change of pace. I am hopeful for the economy and the creation of jobs that you will create. I think that on the inside, you are a good man. That's not what my friends think. You have banned an entire group of people from coming into the United States, but now who will build this country up from the rubble you will put it under? Not letting immigrants into America is really not nice, so please let them in. Just because I'm Mexican doesn't mean you can't build a wall in my country. Please don't build the wall, and don't let people have guns. I am happy for you, but while you are president, please make the world a better place. We are looking to you to serve us. Please, Mr. Trump, make America great again. Have a good time being president. Sincerely, Ida. Sincerely, Robert Peterson. Sincerely, Mimi. P.S. Please don't build a wall around Mexico. P.P.S. Please, please don't stop the refugees from coming. To be a joke, I cannot believe this is happening. I'm literally about to kill myself, and I'm not kidding. You better fix this right now. I literally am gonna die. I need an ambulance. Pravda, the former Soviet Union. I mean, would be so proud of the indoctrination of children. Anyway, glad you're with us. Sean Hannity Show in Washington, D.C. today. CPAC starts tomorrow, and we're here a day early because I can't make it tomorrow or this weekend. So anyway, that's why we're here. Um, Where do you think that came from? What you just heard, a series of kids basically dissing the president, if you want to use kid term here. That was NBC News. They now hit a new low. Now that we've so indoctrinated, now we're indoctrinating kids to bash the president. Imagine any school that ever did this to Barack Hussein Obama. They would be labeled a racist. They would be. This would be a a a highlight film. Oh my gosh, what is happening in this country? Racism is now so so widespread. Our children are are racist because they would criticize Barack Obama. Um, Anyway, I saw this on CNS News. NBC creates these two videos entitled, Dear Mr. President, Kids Talk to Trump, and Dear Mr. President, Letters from American Children. Both videos feature these young kids. They don't know anything about Trump. They only know what their teachers indoctrinated these, these susceptible young minds to say. And they said what they thought they were supposed to say. They have no idea about the nuances of a wall and why it's necessary. I wonder if they told the kids that 642,000 Texans uh, were victims of crimes in a seven-year period by illegal immigrants. I wonder if they showed them the drug warehouses where drugs were being brought up from Mexico to this country. I wonder if they know that every intelligence officer, top official in the Obama administration stated that ISIS will infiltrate the refugee population. Please bring in the refugees. Oh, okay. And what what happens when they commit an act of terror against the United States? Who are you going to blame them? Are you going to blame your teachers or are you going to blame the president? You'll blame the president. Anyway, in the videos, the kids accuse Trump of racism. You know, one kid says, you are here attempting to whitewash America. 
It's like we've got a mini Van Jones school going on here. And NBC News is the propaganda vehicle for these kids. A white, a whitewash of America. Well, I guess everybody that voted for Trump, according to Van Jones at CNN, is a racist. Uh, it goes on. I don't like your definition of American because I don't seem to fit within it. No kid came up with that on their own. That never happened. Kids don't think that way. This kid was told what to say. So they indoctrinate. Let me use another word for indoctrinate. Brainwash a bunch of susceptible kids in their minds. What? To advance their political agenda? It's unbelievable. Many of the comments weren't even issue-oriented at all. They were just thinly veiled insults and personal attacks. There's no need to garner so much hate for countries based on the actions of a single group or organization. Oh, you mean like ISIS? You really understand the intricacies and the and the details of what a caliphate is and the advancement of the caliphate. You understand Hamas's charter calls for the destruction of Israel. You understand who Hezbollah is. You understand who Islamic Jihad is. The Muslim Brotherhood is. You understand the the concept of the seven imams that are you know destined that 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 Islam is going to take over. The, I'm sure you know all of this. I mean, this is now who will build up this country again. From the rubble, you will put it under. Well, let's scare the living crap out of the kids while we're, we're indoctrinating them as well. Maybe we'll practice them to get under their desks like we did in the 50s in this country. Wow. And have, you know, nuclear arm, atomic weapon drills. This is insane. And this is your alt-left radical media. And this is how they feel. And they feel justified. This is what the left does. They feel so superior. They feel they know best you know, I saw Mika, whatever her name, Brzezinski, you know, Morning Joe's. They're such a cute couple, aren't they? I, so cute. Anyway, I saw that, you know, she made a statement. She goes out there and this is actually really funny. I couldn't believe she said it. And nobody, nobody even picked up on it on the show. And so Mika's out there saying, no, 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 that's our job to tell Americans how to think. Listen to this. The dangerous you know, edges here are that he's trying to undermine the media, trying to make up his own facts. And it could be that while unemployment and uh, the, the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think. And that if, is the that is if, our if, job. Yeah. If- he can control what people think. That's our job to tell people how to think. What are you talking about here? That's our job. I'm like, really? That's your job in media to tell people how to think? How about your job in media, considering you're supposed to be, I guess, a journalist? You consider yourself journalists over there at NBC. How about you tell people all sides of an issue and they decide for themselves and have enough belief in the American people that they can discern truth from lies, etc.? I I don't I don't even know what to say here. It's it's mind-numbing to me. But it is the alt-left radical media reality of of life. Um you know, and I was thinking about this in this context. You know, there's four forces at work against the president. You you've got the snowflake forces out there, and that's these these protesters whether they're paid or not. I've got a lot of news that and evidence that's beginning to emerge that shows they might might very well be paid and astroturf people, but I pay attention to it. I mean, I think it's real. I think they're trying to delegitimize the president as they have since the day he's been elected. And that's why the media is their 
useful idiots in this process, and they just go out there and regurgitate. The media has not spent any time, have they, talking about what Trump has accomplished in just 30 short days. They haven't. I've given you the list. I, I could go over it again, but it's kind of redundant, and I'm repeating myself. You know, I have a page and a half of fake news stories that the media has been feeding the American people. I have that. They're not talking about that either. And I suggest that we put it up on our website, T. Beckett Adams, his list of everything the media's gotten wrong since Trump has taken office. You know, they're all upset about Russia and their influence. There hasn't been a smidgen of evidence or truth to back up their claims ever, not one single time, which is kind of mind-numbing in my mind. And yet they continue to repeat those lies. They've never dealt with their, the exposure and the collusion and the corruption that we now know existed as it relates to to WikiLeaks and what they were able to expose, none of that has ever happened. So there's four forces at work here. You've got a media establishment that has declared war against the president of the United States. They want to take him down any way they can. Then you've got a Democratic establishment that want him to fail because it's not in their best interest. They want people dependent on government, so they want him to fail. You got the snowflake establishment and then you got the Republican establishment, which is still afraid of their own shadow and can't get their act together. As a matter of fact, later in the program, part of our new series that we've instituted both on radio and TV, holding them accountable. We have two congressmen and we're going to ask how soon they're going to get repeal and replace done an economic plan in place, how they can help the president on the refugee issue and vetting and building the wall and energy independence and education back to the states. These are all the promises they made. If they don't if they don't do it now, they're never going to get it done. And that's why I went to Washington to interview Paul Ryan. Anyway, we have Congressman Dave Brad of Virginia, Mark Meadows coming up today. And you want to know how left the Democratic Party is going. I see that Keith Ellison, they have this vote Saturday in Tennessee, I believe. He now has an edge over former Labor Secretary Tom Perez, a two to one margin. Ellis leads with 105 supporters to Perez's 57. The remaining major candidates have less than a dozen supporters each. More than 50 DNC members remain undecided. I mean, in December, the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, you know, they came out and they voiced their opposition to Keith Ellison for obvious reasons, not the least of which a classmate said that he heard Keith Ellison say that Jews want to oppress minorities all over the world. And then, of course, he supports screwy Louis Farrakhan of the Nation of Islam. And back when he was in at the University of Minnesota, wrote a paper defending him and saying he's not racist. Well, this is Farrakhan from this weekend when he walked out on the stage in Detroit at the Louis Armstrong Arena. They were chanting Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. And then he went on to say, I want to disabuse the Jews today of the false claim that you are the chosen people of God, that Israel or Palestine belongs to you. I want to disabuse you of that. I'm going to tell you in your future that you that think that you have the power to frighten and dominate the peoples of the world, I'm here to announce the end of your time. And then he slammed his hand on the podium. And now the new head of the DNC may be a guy that supports this lunatic. 
Wow. Fighting the Trump-hating liberal media one day at a time. This is the Sean Hannity Show. All right, so I have insomnia, but I've never slept better. And what's changed? Just a pillow. It's had such a positive impact on my life. And, of course, I'm talking about my pillow. I fall asleep faster. I stay asleep longer. And now you can, too. Just go to MyPillow.com or call 800-919-6090. Use the promo code Hannity. And Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, has the special four-pack. Now, you get 40% off two MyPillow premiums and two go-anywhere pillows. Now, MyPillow is made here in the USA, has a 60-day unconditional money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com right now or call 800-919-6090, promo code Hannity, to get Mike Lindell's special four-pack offer. You get two MyPillow premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows for 40% off, and that means once those pillows arrive, you start getting the kind of peaceful and restful and comfortable and deep healing and recuperative sleep that you've been craving and you certainly deserve. MyPillow.com, promo code Hannity. You will love this pillow. All right, as we roll along, Sean Hannity Shore in D.C. today. Let me give you an example. You know, the president says he wants to get rid of 75 percent of regulation. All right. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means, for example, we can start drilling again. We can drill in Anwar. We can drill in the 48 states. We can drill off all our coasts. We can expand coal mining, which he's already moved forward with the Dakota pipeline, Keystone pipeline and and all these other issues because it creates jobs. We are hurting Americans. All the EPA regulations that we burden auto companies with and steel companies with, it makes it cost prohibitive for them to, for them to do business. Philly.com has a report out that now the city is two months into the city's sweetened beverage tax. In other words, a soda tax. And supermarkets and distributors, guess what? They're reporting a 30 to 50 percent drop in beverage sales. People like Coke. I like Coca-Cola. I don't drink as much as I like because it's addicting. I love it. I like Snapple, lemon iced tea. I'd like to drink that. I like to drink uh, this cream and an orange, uh, orange cream-like soda that you get at, you know, a place like Cracker Barrel. I like to drink those. I, I, I like them. Anyway, once you tax it, anyway, the city's largest distributors told the Philly.com it would cut 20% of their workforce next month. And an owner of ShopRite in Philly says he expects to get rid of 300 workers this spring. People are seeing sales decline larger than anything they've seen up to this point in this city. You know, so instead of admitting the tax government intervention, because they know what's best for you to put into your body. I don't need to, to be told not to smoke. I don't need to be told how much I can drink. I don't need to be told how to manage every aspect of my life. And these nannies in government control everything to the point that nobody has a job. Nobody can buy what they want. You can't drink what you want. You can't even buy a soda for crying out loud because of the nanny state. You know, so the city lashed out by launching the latest fake news campaign when it questioned the legitimacy of the early figures and predicted that customers would respond to the initial sticker shock by shopping outside the city that they'd return. I'm like, oh, okay. In the meantime... 
They're not one of the part. They're not the 300 workers getting laid off. They're not the people being fired. They're not 20 percent of the workforce that are screwed and now have to go find another job if they can ever find one because they're competing against 95 million other Americans that are out of the labor force. This needs to stop. This is government out of control and in our face and in our grill to an oppressive level. And that's exactly what I think Trump is talking about. I see more fake news. CNN this time reporting that Kellyanne Conway's absence from TV came as a result of her being off message when talking about Michael Flynn last week. By the way, 25 now till the top of the hour. She has already disputed this and told reporters she's going to be on Fox tonight. Yeah, that would be my show. And it's been planned for a while. <laughs> Just lie. These people, you know, look at all the lies. House of Representatives. Look at um, the tri-state election hacking conspiracy theory. Remember that? The 27-cent foreclosure conspiracy. Nancy Sinatra's complaints about the inaugural ball conspiracy. The non-existent climate change website purge. The great MLK Jr. bust controversy. Betsy DeVos, the grizzly fighter. The resignations, mass resignations at the State Department. The Photoshop hands affair. The Reuters account hoax. The White House SCOTUS Twitter mistake. The big travel ban lie, you know, which is a religious litmus test. And, of course, this is a Muslim ban, although it doesn't impact 90 percent of the world Muslims and all these majority Muslim countries. We'll call it that anyway. You know, it's just it's I I literally have three pages I could read nonstop here. And they just don't care. Or who was right on Sweden? Was it Trump? They had a riot in Sweden on Monday night. Or was it the media saying there's nothing wrong with Sweden? What are you talking about? Well, he was right. Or the AP botching their stories and the New York Times. Oh, yeah. In one week, they had to reprimand a a reporter for referring to the first lady as a hooker. And then the New York Times had to. uh, They also retweeted a fake Michael Flynn account on Twitter. Then they sent out a picture of Sean What's his name? Not Sean Spicer. Um, What's the guy's name? The speechwriter. Oh, Steve Miller. Steve Miller's head on a spike. Yeah, they retweeted that too. Really? Wow. Pretty amazing. Imagine if they ever have a real controversy or the Trump threatened to invade Mexico lie. Or Trump changed the the name of Black History Month to National African American History Month. Or that... You know, Trump pitched a fit in a phone call with the Australian prime minister, which ended with the U.S. president hanging up on the prime minister or the claim that Trump managed somehow to keep his SCOTUS nominee a secret until he made the announcement at eight o'clock. You know, it's I I could just go on. Nothing smells right here. And it's like for them, what are they avoiding? Okay, the president kept his promise on Trans-Pacific Partnership and withdrew the U.S. from that and. He hosted the CEO of Intel to and talked about their plan to invest seven billion dollars in Arizona and create 10,000 American jobs that the president is moving forward with his promise of energy independence and sent out a presidential memorandum clearing the roadblocks that are obstructing the Keystone XL pipeline, signed another memorandum declaring the Dakota Access Pipeline 
serves the national interest initiating the process to complete the construction. And the president uh, signed memorandum ordering that all new pipeline construction and repair work use materials and equipment and steel from the United States of America. Yeah, he's following through on his promise. Remember, he signed the legislation to block uh, the steam protection rule that was causing a great deal of harm to coal miners and the coal mining industry. Remember the same industry Hillary wanted to put out of business and coal miners out of work? And Trump signed legislation, House Joint Resolution 41, to get rid of the costly regulation that threatened to put domestic extraction companies and their employees at an unfair disadvantage. Remember, the president fought to save America's hard-earned tax dollars, and he renegotiated with Lockheed Martin for the F-35. And he did a review with Mad Dog Mattis, ordering a cost-cutting review of Air Force One and the next Air Force One fleet. He said he's going to run government more like a business. And the president working to reduce the threats of crime and signed an executive order to enhance the safety security of the United States by constructing a wall on the southern border and also to follow through the tax dollars won't go to jurisdictions that uh, are sanctuary cities and signing an executive order that directs the attorney general to develop a strategy to effectively prosecute people who engage in crimes against law enforcement and an executive order that establishes a task force led by the new attorney general to reduce crime considering Rom Rombo Deadfish and people like him in Chicago and elsewhere around the country aren't getting the job done and innocent kids are dying. The president signed an executive order that refocuses the federal government's energy and resources on dismantling transnational criminal organizations. In other words, the drug cartels. Wow, he's done nothing. I can keep going. Anybody in the media talk about the president signing an executive order instructing federal agencies to minimize the burden and they're not going to tax people or penalize people that don't get health insurance, as was mandated by Obama, another promise kept. Or that for every new regulation, two existing regulations have to go. Or the president directing the Commerce Department to streamline federal permitting processes so that domestic manufacturing uh, can move forward with reduced regulatory burdens that we're putting on domestic manufacturers. That's good because that means jobs can be created, factories can be built, manufacturing centers can be built. But he's done nothing. Oh, no. All he is is a liar, Hitler, a dictator, a fascist. You know, that's what you hear from the news. Did anybody in the mainstream media ever give you the list that I'm giving you right now or that the the president had an executive order expediting environmental review in the process? So it doesn't take 15 years to drill for oil and it doesn't take 15 years to go ahead with fracking that is not uh, harm the, the environment like liberals always claimed it would. Did anyone tell you that under his leadership, the Department of the Treasury sanctioned 25 entities and individuals that were involved in Iran's ballistic missile program, which is against the law? Did they tell you the president signed a memorandum directing the secretary of defense to work with other cabinet officials to draw up a plan to defeat ISIS? That should be on his desk now today, for that was 30 days ago. Or that he called and met with more than 30 foreign leaders. Wow, they didn't leak all the calls from the intelligence community. Did anyone tell you that the president signed an executive order to drain the swamp, establishing new ethics commitments for all the executive branch appointees, putting in place a five-year lobbying ban and a permanent ban on lobbying for foreign governments? So if you're an appointee to to serve the American people, you can't line your own pockets 
Or the president put in place a hiring freeze. Why? Because we have too many bureaucrats as it is. Or that he kept his promise on an originalist from the Supreme Court from the very list he gave us back in May, Neil Gorsuch. Well, a lot of Republicans were saying that he'd never fulfill that promise. I remember because they told me personally. Anyone go through any of these? Or the president and the Canadian prime minister launched the U.S.-Canadian Council for the Advancement of Women Entrepreneurs. Not bad for a guy that's a misogynist and a sexist and a racist. That's a pretty good track record. Oh, and he kept the bust of Martin Luther King Jr. inside the Oval Office, and it never went anywhere. What a shocker. I'm so tired of these people. They just lie with abandon. How about CNN leaking questions we discovered through WikiLeaks to the Clinton campaign? Not once, but twice. How about Politico? And... um How about every major news organization, with the exception of the Fox News Channel, were invited to John Podesta's house for din-din? Isn't that cute? They all sat around a big table and talked about how horrible Republicans, conservatives, talk radio, Fox News is, and how they're going to collude and defeat uh, defeat Donald Trump and help Hillary Clinton. I thought that was so nice. Katie Couric offering to showcase Clinton's personality in an interview. I wonder if she was going to showcase Donald Trump's in an interview. I don't think so. Or Glenn Thrush from Politico at the time, now with the now with the New York Times and the New York Times, both sending stories to the Clinton campaign for approval. And a Huffington Post writer said the outlet wanted to make sure Clinton got elected. That's such that's so nice of them. You know, and they don't like what I do for a living, which is give opinions. Or John Harwood, he even he even hosted a debate. Worried that he offended Podesta with a story about Clinton. And he also offered advice to the Clinton campaign. And he mocked reporters who asked Clinton tough questions. And Harwood emailed Podesta about questions he should ask Jeb Bush. Wasn't that nice of Podesta to help hurt President Bush or Governor Bush's chances in that election? Or Harwood tried to have lunch with Podesta. Or CNN, a source there tipping off the campaign, a campaign alley about uh, ally about new poll findings. That's so nice of them. Wonder what would happen if I did that. And I'm not a reporter. And I'm not a news. I'm a news. I think I'm more news than they are. And th- I want to thank all these people, all these that mainstream alt left propaganda media hacks. I want to thank them. You have made my career. You have created a void. And because of your laziness. And because of your outright advocacy for everything liberal, socialist, et cetera, statism, et cetera, your love of Obama was so endearing. It was so cute. Mr. President, what have you found endearing in the first hundred years? A New York Times reporter asked him. That was such a cute question. Um, I need to really thank these guys. They're so bad that America's choosing who to listen to and watch. And... I'm appreciative. You know, if they weren't so abusively biased, if they weren't such a bunch of propaganda Pravda hacks, I I might I might have to sell my house. I'd be out of work. I'd have too much competition. Right now, we don't have any competition. There's nobody but us. There really isn't. There's talk radio. There's Fox News. And it's not even all a talk radio. Some of these guys have jumped the shark also. I mean, if you watch the intensity and the breathlessness of the reporting, I mean, there is a a feeding frenzy. Ah, we got them. 
We got him. I saw Rush on Fox News Sunday this week, and I thought he made a great point. He said to Chris Wallace, well, the media didn't elect Trump, and they can't take him out either, as hard as they try. They're trying hard. They want him gone. How about, for example, uh, Reuters offering to share House Benghazi committee intel with the Clinton campaign? Wasn't that nice of Reuters to do that? I think that was very kind, very thoughtful of them. Boston Globe pumping up the campaign with positive coverage and admitting it. The New York Times allowing quotes to be edited. They want to make sure Hillary gets fair treatment. I've been interviewed by everybody at the New York Times. I've never got that kind of treatment myself. I usually get the crap kicked out of me. And every time I get a call from the PR people of Fox saying, oh, the New York Times wants to interview you. I'm like, oh, great. I can't wait to get punched in the head again. I love getting punched in the head. Univision pressuring the campaign to attack Trump. They're just outright advocating what telling them what to do. MSNBC reporter praising Clinton. Apparently they got in one case questions fed to them. You might want to ask Hillary these questions. And then they ask those questions. Isn't that nice? I never did that with Donald Trump. I didn't need to. I asked him questions that I wanted answered. And I thought the people that I serve, you, the audience, want answered. Campaign bragging about having all kinds of media support. They knew they had these people in their pocket. Staffers colluding with NBC on an interview about the Clinton Foundation. There's no media bias. There's no, you know, when I talk about this, there's no no problem. Anyway, let's go to Aaron is in California. Aaron, welcome to D.C., the swamp and the Sean Hannity show. Hey, Sean, thanks for having me on. It's finally, you know, great to finally talk to you. Um, you know, you were talking about Keith Ellison earlier and how horrible of a candidate he is. Well, obviously, we all know this knucklehead is horrible. We all know he's an anti-Semite. But you know what? Why warn the Democrats? Let's let them drive their you know, vehicle off the cliff. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, I'm all in favor. If they, want, if they want to pick Keith Ellison with his background and his history of radicalism, then I will tell you right now, um, they're gonna, they will marginalize themselves forever with the American people. So why get in the way when they're about to make a major mistake? I'm like, guys, this is your party. You do what you want with it. Right? Exactly. Right. exactly. Unfortunately, the Democrats, they have a huge Jewish you know, vote. But again, if he's an anti-Semite and he's pushing those views, you know, they're going to lose that, that vote eventually. So let's just let him do it. All right, my friend. God bless you. 800-941-SEAN is our number. Sean Hannity. And you alluded to and talked about uh, what is going on uh, with this proposal um, that is being pushed by Michael Cohen, the right. president's personal lawyer, who delivered the document. Felix F. Sater, a That's business right. associate who helped Mr. Trump scout deals in Russia and a Ukrainian lawmaker trying to rise in a political opposition right. movement shaped in part by Mr. Trump's former campaign manager, Paul Manafort. Can't people see what's going well, on? Why do you think uh, they hacked into our election? They hacked into the election because they have to make sure that Donald Trump got elected so that he could help them with what 
what I think is a huge deal, not only to lift these sanctions, but to take over, you know, all of these Soviet countries and pull them back into the Soviet Union uh, so that they could have access to all of these resources. It's clear to me. And I just think the American people had better understand what's going on. This is a bunch of scumbags. That's what they are. Those are very who strong words, organize around making money. Who, who, do, who do you mean by that when you call them scumbags? Who are you talking to? Talking All about? of these people who are organized with these oil and gas interests that's you in the this, administration and in, friends you're calling the of Secretary the President of the United States, this back channeling that you see, these are a bunch of scumbags. Secretary that's what of State, they are. For eight years, you guys had a plan. You, you kept saying and promising you would repeal, replace Obamacare. Mm-hmm. And I guess what people want to know is when are these things going to get done? We're exactly on the timeline that we designed for ourselves. Obamacare is coming next. Our bill is coming in March. First, it's regulatory reform because we have this window of time to cancel bad Obama regulations. Then we're doing Obamacare. After we're done with Obamacare, then we're doing our budget. And our budget is what the second budget, which will be tax reform. So we're doing two budgets in one year, which has never been done before. This is faster than it's ever been done before. When I heard repair, my head nearly exploded. That's not the plan. The plan is, is to repeal and replace this law. Like we said, we ran on a plan to repeal and replace it. Tom Price helped write that plan. He is now Donald Trump's secretary of so HHS. So there is a consensus plan that's yes. now being scored by the CBO. Correct. You're saying to the American people and conservatives that are impatient, including myself, you agree with every item I mentioned, every, even extreme vetting. Yeah, you we, we passed that bill a year ago in the House. I know you now agree with building the wall. Yes. Are you telling the American people vetting refugees, building the wall, repeal, replace, tax reform, all of this is going to be done in 200 days? Inside the 200-day window is the regulatory reforms we talked about. It's the repeal and replace Obamacare. It's the budget. It's the rebuilding of our military. It's tax reform. Those are the things that we're working on. And infrastructure. Those are the things we're working on in this 2017 calendar. in the equation? Because that's in there as well. We we, okay. we see that as part of regulatory reform. But in so, 200 days, that's you think that's doable? This is our plan. Yeah. And if and if there's any slippage, we'll finish it in the fall and get it done before the end of the year. So if I come back in 200 days, I you're gonna you're gonna go. Well, I made a promise. We yeah, got it done. Well, because I think this is so, important. So here's what I'm saying. We, we've met this out for 200 days. We have a plan to do that. We're on schedule. But if, if anything slips because of It'll be another Supreme Court justice yeah, or, or a filibuster on a cabinet nominee, that might slip us. But we're, we're making sure that we do all of this in 2017. Okay, let's go to the budget, which is such a big issue. Uh, the president, seven brackets to three, 15 percent corporate rate. I know you prefer 20 because that well, scores. I, no, I prefer 15. I just, scores. Yeah, I have to get what we can with the, okay. with the numbers. You support repatriation, multinational corporations. That will be huge. For, that's a lot of money that can come back into the economy. Probably about $3 trillion. Here's my headline of this interview, that you're in pretty much full agreement with, with what Donald Trump ran on. Yes. And number two. In 200 days, from the legislative side, you are going to be implementing every aspect of that agenda that we talked about. Yep, and, and just to That's add a in, big headline. And we, have, and we have cushion in our schedule. If, if anything slips, because it's really because of Senate issues, we still have time to accommodate all of this stuff so in 2017. To, to so I even have safety valves. I have, I have cushions built in the schedule. Oh. 
to make sure this all gets done in 2017 because I believe in case concern. something happens and goes sideways on the Senate. I'm pretty sure that'll stimulate the economy, get people Absolutely. back to work and, and get the economy moving again, which I think we need. That's what we're hired to do. All right, Mr. Speaker, right. you'll see you in 200 days. All right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show. Glad you're with us from our nation's capital. CPAC kicks off tomorrow. I can't be here then, but we're going to be doing a live show with a live audience tonight, uh, sort of like our own little town hall. And uh, I'll start the show with a monologue, which is really a speech in front of the audience. I have not planned a single word of what I'm going to say yet, but we'll figure it out. Anyway, glad you're with us. And you said come back. I was just asking Paul Ryan. We've initiated a new segment both on radio and TV, and it's called Holding Them Accountable. They promised in 2010, repeal, replace Obamacare. We had a lot of show votes, no teeth in them. They had, it turns out, no consensus plan to replace. And then, of course, we had the promise that if we got the Senate, we would stop the president's illegal, unconstitutional executive amnesty. Well, now we have the House, the Senate, and the White House, and we need to hold them accountable because probably this is the last shot we have to stop the precipitous decline in this country. Anyway, joining us now to uh, hold accountable, Congressman Dave Bratt of Virginia, Congressman Mark Meadows of North Carolina, and they're both members of the Freedom Caucus, which I consider myself an honorary member. Uh, welcome both of you back to the show. Hey, well, it's great to be with you, Sean. And you are an honorary member of the Freedom Caucus because you love liberty and freedom. So it's good to yes, be with sir. you. Well, I, did you watch by any chance either one of you? I know you're busy and your whole life doesn't revolve around my shows, although it should. Um, did you guys watch the interview with Paul Ryan? Yeah, I saw the full thing. What do you think, Congressman Mark Meadows? Well, I, I, I think that uh, it's very optimistic to suggest that all those things are going to get done in the first 200 days. We don't even have a plan yet for replacing Obamacare and to say that there's consensus I can tell you I've been talking to a number of my colleagues both in the well, wait, wait a minute. He said, there's a, he said there's a plan currently being scored by the CBO that was a consensus plan. That's what he told me. Well, I understand that, and, and uh, it is not a consensus plan. I haven't seen it. Maybe Dave Bratt's seen it, but I haven't seen any plan at this point that uh, has been rolled out. Dave Bratt? Yeah, no, what we... no, yeah. yeah, I'll second. And, Sean, you, you, you hit it out of the park in the intro remarks, but the key word is repeal. And you had it right, so hold us accountable. We already voted in 2015 for a full repeal of Obamacare. So there's no mystery as to what we got to do. And Mark Meadows has been leading on this the whole year with Jim Jordan and our guys. The 2015 repeal that passed the House and passed, already passed the Senate, uh, we're asking for that as the bare minimum. So that well, we wait, get wait, well hang on a second. I went to Washington. I interviewed the Speaker of the House. He said there's a consensus plan. He said it's being scored at the CBO. He said that there weren't nine plans, that there's not repair, that it's repeal and replace. He said he's working in in close contact with the White House on this and included all the things that we all talked about, which is, you know, personal savings accounts, health savings accounts, portability, pre-existing conditions, all the issues that we had talked about. Are you saying neither one of you have heard a thing about this? Well, we've, we've, we've seen a brief, uh, Sean. Yeah. We've seen a brief on what are some aspirational goals, but there has been no text at this point, nothing to actually – whatever he's getting scored has not come out of committee, has not been presented to the, the members. And, and to suggest, I mean, part of what they're talking about 
is really that the first legislative initiative that the president would sign would actually create a new entitlement program. I don't think that's what my voters uh, wanted or demanded, and it's certainly not what we promised the American people. You're saying that what is being scored is an entitlement program? Yeah, well, I'll go beyond that, too. Even worse than than an entitlement program, which it is. Mark's exactly right. It's also a federally run program. And you do not want the federal government building a car for you or building a house. You certainly don't want them running your health care for you. And that federal program maintains basically the three legs of the Obamacare stool, right? There's still the subsidies are going to stay unless we get rid of them. And we're doing that through the tax package, right? There's going to be refundable tax credits for that piece. And then there's going to be community rating is going to probably stay. And then we're going to keep the taxes. And so then the politicians at the federal level are in the middle of running your health care. We have a problem saying no. That's why the debt's blowing up. And so we're going to fund this thing on the backs of our kids again. And so we're against that program. We want to do everything you just mentioned, the portability, cross-state, block grants, all that. We want to make sure we got high-risk pools for pre-existing conditions, you know, a two-year transition path to make sure people don't go throw it under the rug. That can all be done with free market reforms. Wow. I, 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 I don't even know what to say. And you're saying that you don't even think that it's possible at all in any way to get this done in 200 days. In other words, he was t- I, look, I went through the whole list. All right, the president will get vetting done. He'll do executive actions that will help get, to, get us to energy independence. But we do need work on the economy, seven brackets to three, a corporate tax rate of 15%. Uh, repatriated money at a low rate of 10 percent, incentivizing multinational corporations to bring it back, et cetera. Um, so you got a lot of work to do here. And and he said specifically March was the timetable for repealing, replacing. And now you guys are telling me that you don't even know what he's talking about. Well, I'm, I'm saying that there's not a plan out there, Sean. And, and I agree that can we get it done in 200 days? Without a doubt. And we should get it done, uh, you know, enough with the excuses. But the other part of that is at this particular point, you know, we were going to have something where we could vote on to have on the president's desk on January 20th when he was sworn in. Then we moved that back to February. Now we're moving it back to the end of March. And you know, we just continue to d- delay and continue to do a number of different uh, aspects, which actually keeps taxes, keeps subsidies, and honestly doesn't really drive the cost of health care down. Wow. Yeah, and I'll just I'm... add the political component here, Sean, is at first McConnell gave us assurances, or we heard that at least, that the 2015 repeal was okay. They could get that through the Senate because they had already voted on it. It would be very hard for senators uh, to switch their vote on that. And, but then the tune changed, and they said, well, you can't just do a repeal. we got to add a replacement package because some of the folks are getting weak knees over there in the Senate. And so the messaging is just switching by the week. And instead of doing what's best and, and getting a good policy for the American people, we're worried about politics. Well, well, I mean, what am I going to have to do? I mean, do I need to go back to Washington and ask the speaker to sit down with you guys and Jim Jordan and all all of us sit together on television and do an hour and get this on get everybody on the same page? I'm flabbergasted at what you all are saying. Well, I mean, at this point, what we need to do is have a plan and we need to show the text of the bill that we're going to talk about and vote on and debate. 
and and we've yet to see that. And so uh, if if they've got it, they're not sharing it with the members. I don't know of any member other than perhaps just a few in the very uh, top leadership circles that have actually looked at any text of any particular replacement bill uh, that I've seen. I don't even know what to say at this point. Was I lied to? Well, you watched the interview. Yeah, you watched watch the interview. The interview. And, do you... and, and looking at the interview, I mean, I, I do believe that the speaker is, is well-intentioned, that this is the plan. We do have uh, a path and, and a plan put forth. But to say that we're unified and that we have an, an agreement uh, is is a bridge too far. That's just not accurate based on you... my conversations with a number of members. Congressman Pratt, you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. And for, for me, it's always Washington, D.C. language, which you know better than any of us. But the what is the meaning of the word repeal? And I think to the average person, when we promised we were going to repeal, it's not too mysterious. It means you repeal the bill. And that's what you said in your remarks. Are we going to repeal the bill? And, we, and the answer was well, yes. Well, I, I guess I, when I started this segment, which is that we're doing this both on radio and TV, holding them accountable, I had no idea I'd be here today. I, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back more with Congressman Dave Bratt and Congressman Mark Meadows, both of the Freedom Caucus. Still waiting to fly out all those libs who promised to leave if Trump were elected. The jet is ready. This is the Sean Hannity Show. from Obamacare will be done day one to the spring to the summer to the by the end of the year. And so it's been all over the map, not just from you, but from other people. I also heard people it say it hasn't been all over the map from us, from me. Okay. Well, uh, it's members been all of over Congress. the map for the press. It's been all over the map from from rumor mills. But from us here in Congress, we're exactly on the timeline that we laid out for ourselves. When I heard repair, my head nearly exploded. That's not the plan. The plan is, is to repeal and replace this law. So there is a consensus plan that's yes. now being scored by the CBO. Correct. All right. That was my interview with the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. We continue with Freedom Caucus members, uh, Congressman Dave Brad of Virginia, Congressman Mark Meadows of North Carolina, both members of Freedom Caucus, as I said. And I don't know what to make of this. I'd like to come to Washington maybe next week if, if we can set it up and maybe ask the speaker. And I, I mean, in a nice way, if we can sit down and come to some type of consensus on this and understand where we're all coming from here. I don't know. I don't get it. Well, I mean, the speaker's an honorable man. And when, when it comes down to it, if he's talking about a consensus, is there a consensus on some principles? Yes, there's consensus on principles. Is there a consensus on an actual plan, an actual bill to repeal and replace? The answer to that is no. And so uh, it's important that we make that decision. Hopefully that but he, decision gets But he specifically said that the plan to repeal and replace was being scored by the CBO. He specifically said that. Well, yeah. I, I, I can tell you that CBO is looking at a plan that neither Congressman Brad or myself 
has actually no. had the privilege of, of reviewing at this point, nor any anybody that I know of, other than perhaps the chairman of the Energy and Commerce Committee. All right, Congressman and, and Brad, I'll, 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 go ahead. I'll defend just for a hair there, because one of the hard pieces here and why leadership has a, a huge challenge is because we're doing reconciliation, right? So you only get one bite at the apple. See, if we just repeal, that doesn't work, right? Because some of these guys need to go home to their constituents. Well, that was the whole reason it needs to. But that was the whole reason right. it needed to be scored because it needs to be right. revenue neutral. That's right, and, and so you got to do the repeal. But we want the 2015 full repeal of the bill, and then we're we're okay with repeal and replace at the same time. But if you do the 2015 repeal, and then and then we'll have to look at the terms of what's in there. But we we have to for sure get rid of Obamacare, right? We don't want to be left with Obamacare light. That's the primary concern. All right, last question. I heard uh, some snowflakes and uh, protesters and agitators were at your town hall last night, Congressman Brad. And you got pretty good reviews for how you handled it. I know Marsha Blackburn went through the same thing. How bad was it? Yeah, it, it was mainly uh, constituents. But, you know, there was the 15 of the, uh, you know, the kind of the uh, radical type protesters in the back with the pink cards to set up the boo. So I only made it through half the answers. And so they make a big protest and then the fake news comes in, the Huffington Post and the Washington Post. And they jet up Portnoy and all them do all this fake news about where are you, Dave? I had 500 meetings with constituents in two years. Right. I, I one on that issue, and they come along and say, where are you? So I have, I, I finally have a town hall. Well, two weeks they had to wait for a town hall, a long time to wait. And I get in front of my constituents, and then they shout me down so you can't even have a civil uh, discussion. Well, so it, all right. It's uh, very, I'm going to – oh, it's frustrating. I mean, but you know what? Hang in there, and I agree with you. Show up and, and let, them, let them vent, and maybe they'll yep. eventually calm down and have an intelligent discussion. But I wouldn't hold my breath. Thank you both for being with us. It's part of our Holding Them Accountable in Washington segment that we're doing regularly and updating regularly here on the show. Governor Romney, I'm glad that you recognize that al-Qaeda is a threat because a few months ago when you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia, not al-Qaeda. You said Russia in the 1980s are now calling to ask for their foreign policy back because you know, the Cold War has been over for 20 years. But, but Governor, you know, when it comes to our foreign policy, you seem to want to import the foreign policies of the 1980s, just like the social policies of the 1950s and the economic policies of the 1920s. And by the way, it would be great if we could get along with Russia, just so you understand that. Now, tomorrow you'll say, Donald Trump wants to get along with Russia. This is terrible. It's not terrible. It's good. We had Hillary Clinton try and do a reset. We had Hillary Clinton give Russia 20 percent of the uranium in our country. You know what uranium is, right? It's a thing called nuclear weapons. Nobody talks about that. I didn't do anything for Russia. I've done nothing for Russia. Hillary Clinton gave him 20% of our uranium. Hillary Clinton did a reset. Remember with the stupid plastic button that made us all look like a bunch of jerks? Here, take a look. He looked at her like, what the hell is she doing with that cheap plastic button? Hillary Clinton, that was a reset. Remember it said reset? Now, if I do that, oh, I'm a bad guy. If we could get along with Russia, that's a positive. All right, there you have a comparison. That, of course, President Obama, we forgot to play. Hey, hey, Dimitri, Dimitri, it's me. It's it's Barack. Listen, the next time you see Vladimir, tell him I'll have a lot more flexibility after the election, a lot more flexibility. I don't want the American people to know this, though. Send a secret message. This is my last election, please. Yeah. Um, after my election, I have more flexibility. 
All we hear is Russia, Russia, Russia. Anyway, joining us now to discuss this and the state of a hyperventilating, breathlessly reporting, biased media is an original insurgent himself. Patrick J. Buchanan is with us. Uh, you have a headline that's out as a Trump Putin detente dead. You want to answer your own question? Yeah, I'm very. Uh, I think the president. One of the reasons he is president, and one of his best initiatives was to say, "Look, uh, we got our disagreements with Russia and Ukraine and Crimea and the Baltic, and we'd like to work with them in Syria and smashing ISIS." I'm going to see if I can't work out a modus vivendi with Russia, and to me, that's a that's a good thing. It's going to take tough bargaining, but I fear that the all the the publicity attendant to allegations that Trump is a secret agent, the Siberian candidate, and all this talk, Sean, that uh, that the Republicans really were aided by Putin and that he's collaborating, or his people were, with members of Trump's uh, campaign. I think it may have made it almost impossible to sit down for tough, realistic negotiations the way that uh, Nixon did at Reykjavik and uh, Excuse me, Nixon did in uh, Moscow and Yalta, and that Reagan did at Reykjavik. Well, Reagan got up and walked off, walked away from the meeting. I mean, that was a pretty profound moment, but it also I, led to it also yeah, led to but, some you know, some real I was peace. Right there when he walked out, I saw him walk out of that room and come out of Hofke House, Sean. But on the plane, how back, shocked I told was? Him, well, now I got to ask you. Come back. They want to get rid of the the intermediate nuclear weapons you put in Europe, and they were going to have it. They want to trade. And sure How, enough, what was by that November? They had a deal. What was Gorbachev's reaction when Reagan stood up, said "yet" and walked out? I was not. Yeah, I didn't see him say that right there, but I saw him come out of the room, and they moved out of Hofty House and went to the car. And Pete Sousa, I believe, was a photographer up there. I was in the car right behind Reagan's, and Reagan and Gorbachev were saying goodbye. And as Pete uh, talked to him, he got in my car, you know, and he got in the front seat. And I said, what did they say? And he said, Reagan, what could have, what, I don't know what I could have done differently. Gorbachev said something like, and Reagan said, you could have said yes. And what ticked Reagan off was that he had been sandbagged. He really cut a deal, and it was a questionable deal for getting rid of all these weapons, nuclear weapons. But then when he went down to the meeting late on Sunday for the last meeting, Gorbachev said, uh, by the way, you're going to have to throw SDI into the deal. And that, you know, so Reagan. sandbagging, that's what said he felt he'd been double-crossed, you know, he'd been led up the primrose path, and all of a sudden this last-minute demand is being made by someone who, in effect, is going to say, if, if you don't give in, I'm, you're going to have to blow up the summit or give in. <laughs> Reagan he get, got up he and walked away. Up the plane. You know what? It really is a great moment. moment. It's a great moment in in negotiation history. How should the U.S. deal with the issue of Crimea and Ukraine now? I I mean, it's all said and it's all done. There's been no consequences, so to speak. Well, here's the thing. The the Crimea, you're not going to get it back. I mean, the Russians can't give it up. Putin can't survive and give that up. I mean, if he did give it up, all the support he's got in Russia would abandon him immediately. That's believed to be Russian territory. They do have an eastern Ukraine. The point is it's a lot of pro-Russian elements in, in eastern Ukraine that, that would like to be closer to Russia and would like to be severed from, uh, severed from Ukraine. I think you can work out truces and maintain more autonomy in southeast Ukraine for these folks, Donetsk and Luhansk. Uh, they can't secede and create a new state. But I think I think that Putin is willing to deal on that. And frankly, 
you know, we got a lot of troops and missiles and things up there. We're moving into into the Baltic area, and Russia's in Kaliningrad. I think you could do a deal to sort of, you know, cut back on that and then go work together in Syria. There's, I mean, you, there's all sorts of areas where we agree and areas where we clash. Yeah. What do you think of how the media is so vicious and vile and dishonest against Trump at this point? You know, I, you know, the I don't understand. In on Russia, it's astonishing. I mean, they used to c- criticize and condemn us back in the Cold War days for being hardliners and looking for a war and all the rest of it. That we wouldn't negotiate with the Russians. They complimented Jack Kennedy when he went to American University. Said, "Look, we're going to have it. We're six months after the missile crisis," and said, "We're going to have to deal with these folks." So I think this. This hostility, I think it is, it, is, it is almost mortal. I think they really believe they can take this guy down. They despise him. He let them have it by saying they're enemies of the people. And I think it's, uh, Sean, this is, a, um, this is a real political struggle to the end. I don't think any of this stops. I think you've got a president now that is facing a, a formidable enemy or multiple enemies on multiple fronts. I mean, you've got the total left-wing snowflakes that are I would argue and believe, and I think evidence is beginning to show more every day, that they're being paid to organize and obstruct and and create as much chaos as possible and create an impression this is the Tea Party, you know, liberal redux here. And then you've got a, a media that is in open warfare with the president. You've got a Democratic establishment, you know, from day one mentioning the word impeachment and a Republican establishment that is weak and timid and spineless and ineffective over the years. And I'm not so sure they have the courage to go through the fire with him, which is inevitably coming on every piece of his agenda. So I think you've got a pretty good description of, uh, of the balance of forces right now in, the, in this city. And I think what the, the president has to do is... By the way, I'm in, I'm in your city today. I don't really like it here, but I feel like I've been living here the last <laughs> my, month. It's my hometown, Sean. I grew up well, here. It was yeah, a nice I, town I, in the 40s during the war and after the war. In the 40s? All the soldiers around every town in the little kid. Every town was nice in the 40s, Pat. The only way you're going to get 1940s or 50s America is go to Salt Lake City. It's amazing how beautiful it is out there. But the only thing I can say to you is it, this is I've never seen it this hostile. And on the good side of things, you know, the media didn't elect Trump and, and Trump is, doesn't really need them. But cumulatively, my fear is over time, it's just going to wear on the entire American pu- public. I think it is. I think it is, and I think the the American people will they will tire of the of the constant bickering and argument. Again, I think what Trump has to do, he's going to have to deliver on 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 many of his all of his promises, and I think he's making a conscientious effort to do that on immigration, uh, on trade. I don't know where they are at. That's probably going to be folded into the tax bill. But the Republicans, I think, have got to get together and deliver deliver on this fellow Gorsuch and deliver on these things and see if it. It works, and if it does, they're fine. And if it doesn't, I mean, got real problems. But I do believe, as I think I mentioned to you many times, Sean, the major thing is, and we got three folks, generals in there around him, who have been through wars and have seen the mistakes that have been made, and they can't be enthusiastic about any new wars. And so, if if they can just stay out of the wars and they can get the agenda, domestic agenda through, and people are going to get sick of having people stand up and call congressmen names every time they go home. I mean, that's... Look, I, I I, I've, this, I've, interviewed, I've interviewed Trump enough, though. He does have... He doesn't want to be an interventionist. 
and he certainly doesn't want boots on the ground, maybe short of intelligence forces. Um, I got to tell you, and and maybe we'll disagree on this, and uh, look, in good conscience, after Vietnam and after what we saw in Iraq and 5,000 kids die in Iraq and Afghanistan, and then we pull out because, like Vietnam, we politicized the war, then you have to ask, why did we send these kids to fight, bleed, and die You know, when we're not committed to winning a war? Um, so the second question is, what do we do if the Iranians get close to getting nuclear weapons? Because for me, it's a simple equation. A squared, B squared equals C squared. And radical uh, Islamic terrorist mullahs in Iran with weapons of mass destruction represents a clear and present danger for the entire world. I believe okay. they would use them. All right. Let me say this. 2007 and 2011 again. 16, 17 national security agencies of the United States with high confidence said Iran did not have a nuclear weapons program. Since then, they've exported 98% of the uranium. They've stopped, uh, they stopped refining it up to 20%. They put concrete in the middle of that reactor up in, up in the north. And, they, and we've got that bolted down. If they broke out and tried to put together uranium and compile it, we would have plenty of time to smash them. And that would be the dumbest thing in the world are you, com- are you confident that we? Because Americans would strike them. I mean, are they, you Americans confident? Would take out their facilities. One of look, they, they may be evil, and they're probably the the closest that we have to modern day evil today. But they're not stupid, and there's a distinction. Well, and not mean, being stupid, but, but they. But wait, hang on. But they built their nuclear sites all around their country. They buried them deep into the ground. They partnered with Putin on missile defense. It, to me, already, if, the, if the mil, any military action were to occur today, it would include bunker-busting bombs. It would need a massive coalition that seems to be emerging between the Israelis, the Saudis, the Jordanians, and Egyptians. And it would need everything we've got. And probably, you know, I don't see it leading to a ground war, but I see it leading to a major world crisis. Well, look, the only facility they've got deep underground is Fordow, and there, there are IAEA guys in there. They are no longer enriching to 20 percent, which they did in that underground facility. And if they kick the, uh, the, uh, the guys in there that are covering it, if they kick them out and start doing this, they're headed down the road to a confrontation. If the Americans didn't do anything, the Israelis wouldn't let them get a bomb. The Israelis, some of the Israelis no. are saying we think we got a good deal on the nuclear deal. Look, but what happened? No, well, I got to take a break. Hang on a second. I don't know any Israeli that's saying that that Iranian deal was a good deal. Nobody's saying that that I know of. But hang on, Pat Buchanan with us. Final hour roundup is next. You do not want to miss it. And stay tuned for the final hour free-for-all on the Sean Hannity Show.
And as we continue, Patrick J. Buchanan is with us. All right, let me go back to the forces that are battling Trump, the snowflake leftists, Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, the people out in the streets. Then you add the Democratic establishment, a corrupt and biased, abusively so, media propaganda establishment. And then you have the weak Republican establishment. Now, if I had to guess, my great disappointment may ultimately come from the Republicans. I had an interview with Paul Ryan the other night. I don't know if you saw it. I hope you did. And in it, I got him to agree he agreed. Agrees with the Trump agenda, and he said everything legislatively will be passed in 200 days. He said there are a lot of obstacles, technical, bureaucratic obstacles to repeal and replacing Obamacare. They'll do that in March. Is that timetable fast enough to get it done? And do you see liberal Republican defections that gum up the works? Yeah, I do think so. I think, uh, you know, I I regret that they haven't moved much faster than they have. But if they get the Obama, you know, repeal and replace and they get a real tax bill through there and it's got a border adjustment tax there, I think those two can get these big victories in there. And then we're going to have to see if it works or not. I think that would be a success. And look, as I've said many times, Sean, look, we have our, our, our survival as a movement and a party depends upon the regular Republicans, conservatives on the Hill, and the populist conservatives that gave Trump his victory. And you got to get together and you got to make a deal there. And then you reach out and get yourself the Joe Mansions and hopefully get these through and get some judges through and get some momentum going. And then, of course, it's in the, in the hands of the Lord, so to speak, whether it works or not. But if you can do that, I think that's good news. But as I've mentioned, you know, a war, what the war did to George W. Bush, it finished off the party in 2006, and we lost the presidency to an anti-war liberal, one-term senator in 2008. And if I think you get mixed up in some kind of unnecessary war with Iran, look, if Iran wants a war with us, they can start it tomorrow afternoon. They could have started at any time the last 35 years. They don't want to mix it up with the United States. They saw what happened next door to Saddam Hussein, who didn't even have any weapons of mass destruction. They're, yeah. they're tough, arrogant, and they're and the leadership is many of the people, our, our, our wrestling team goes over there and gets tremendous applause. They welcome them there. And my hope is Rouhani wins this election in May. Even the Ayatollah, I think, doesn't want the hardliners to take over again and lose control. See, I think we can avoid a war with them while maintaining our own dignity and our position and our strength and everything we got there. Listen, I uh, I got to tell you, I hope you're right. All right, my friend. Okay, 800-941-SEAN. Hang in there. All right, buddy. 800-941-SEAN, a toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. How corrupt is the news media? Well, Cheryl Atkinson, well, she was fired from CBS. They wouldn't let her report the truth about Obama. We'll get her take on the state of the media today. And your calls, 800-941-SEAN, is on number. Straight ahead. This is what got you wound up on the Philadelphia Inquirer front page, like Hitler. He's going to take that nation back to the old days of uh, conflict, war, and everything. It's, uh, it's, uh, I mean, he, he remembers me of Hitler. But I feel Hitler in these streets. A mustache traded for a toupee. Nazis renamed the cabinet. There was an America First committee that formed in this country. Hundreds of thousands of people in this country. Some of the richest businessmen in the country who were part of it. They were formed to keep us out of World War II. They were infiltrated by the Nazis. Many of them were anti-Semitic. Part of why they weren't alarmed by Hitler's rise in Germany. The America First 
committee um, is something that means a specific thing in this country to repurpose it now, not that far down the historical path. But I was thinking, when he said today, America first, it was not just the racial, I mean, the, I shouldn't say racial, the Hitlerian uh, background to it. I wondered since my teens what it would have been like, what it must have been like for distant relatives, I will never know, to have been a German and to watch what seemed like a strange but evidently unimportant political movement rise up from the fringes of my own society. I have wondered for decades, what would it be like to see my country devolve and deteriorate from democracy to mindless, soulless cult worship? Thanks to Donald Trump, I am getting the chance to find out. Then he goes to China. They've taken our money and our jobs. It's one of the greatest thefts in the history of the world. That's the way Hitler used to talk about the Jews. Enemy of the people is uh, pretty far outside the, what's the standard Republican playbook of attacking. The administration's always taken... I take offense when they're criticized and challenged, even inside the own Trump inside the administration itself, is that just seems kind of beyond the pale. Joe, my question for you is, you know, we all, um, I think most people at this table uh, were alive and, and politically conscious uh, at the time of the Oklahoma right. City bombings. And every time that Donald Trump uses this kind of language, I always worry that it's an incitement to... Uh, elements of our country that are that might uh, go ahead and do something uh, when the president of the United States calls the press the enemy of the people that they might take that seriously. Right. So yeah, this is very very dangerous and and it's one thing to say the press is liberal. It's one thing to say the Ninth Circuit is liberal. But when you start saying that somebody has uh, is an enemy of the people, then that does incite people to violence, especially if it's coming from the president of the United States. You know, Donald Trump sounds like a walking war crime. It's this awful polarization that we have now where people see the same reality and interpret it differently. And unfortunately, people don't have media literacy. They can't make a distinction between something that's actually fact-based and something it's not. But it is uh, a dangerous thing when the when the president tries to impeach the entire uh, media, other than Rush Limbaugh, Fox News, and Alex Jones, and some of the people uh, on the fringes. In the past, when the president has, when he was a candidate, and he targeted people, say protesters at a rally, uh, some people found that uh, an opportunity to take license and uh, and target those people. You know what? My fear of the administration as it's shaken out so far is not that it's incipient fascism. It's that it's anarchy. Anarchy, fascism, Hitler too. I mean, uh, can you say anything where he's inciting people to violence? What about the words they use to describe him? Anyway, News Roundup Information Overload Hour. We have an information crisis in the country. There's no doubt about it. I have a page here in front of me of every single item of fake news, and I put it up on the screen on TV last night that we have had to deal with in, in a 30-day period, and it is obnoxiously long. This is not the treatment that Barack Obama got. You know, Barack Obama was asked one time about starting his political career in the home of an unrepentant terrorist. One time in the course of a campaign. Imagine if Donald Trump started his campaign, his political career, in the home of an unrepentant terrorist, gave speeches with the guy, and sat on boards with the guy. And the guy of all days was quoted in the New York Times, September 11, 2001, as saying that I wish I had done more. You think the, and the question, the one time the question was asked, it was fed by me to George Stephanopoulos the day before he was moderating a debate. And George Stephanopoulos hadn't heard of Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn at the time. I was shocked. Couldn't believe it. And then Obama's flimsy answer. 
He's just a guy in the neighborhood, George. There's so many examples. Then, of course, we have WikiLeaks and all the corruption and collusion that went on during the campaign that exposed the media not only as lazy, but agenda-driven. Cheryl Atkinson is the host of Full Measure News, and you may remember the interaction between the, the her experience as a journalist who was targeted by the Obama administration because she dared to actually report news honestly. It ended her career at CBS and uh, launched her into the spotlight. And she wrote a book called Stonewalled, My Fight for Truth Against the Forces of Obstruction, Intimidation and Harassment in Obama's Washington. I'm very curious, by the way, welcome back, Cheryl Atkinson. I'm very curious for your take on this war now that the media is engaged with, engaged in with the president. So much cognitive dissonance when I listen to those clips and when I hear my colleagues and former colleagues who I'm friends with on social media and I read what they're writing, it's just pretty shocking. I mean, they clearly believe they're well-founded in their unprecedented behavior and then shocked when the president considers them to be acting in much the way an enemy would. And it kind of brings me back to years ago when I first started at CBS. Bernard Goldberg wrote his letter to the editor, I think, in the New York Times, accusing CBS of having, I I think it was, liberal bias. And I was young, didn't know much, but the reaction inside the company made me think what I'm thinking today. And I said this out loud to somebody at the time. Boy, we can sure dish it out, but we can't take it. You know, Do you ever see such whining in a bunch of... It's like I feel like saying, put your big boy's pants on for crying out loud. And, and, and you know what? They can dish it out, these people, but they certainly can't take it. I have friends who are posting journalists photos of themselves on social media saying, I am not the enemy, kind of like an advocate would or a political operative would, you know, on the basis of some organized campaign. And, you know, my computers were hacked by the government, and I just would, wouldn't think of wearing a sign and posting on social media, I am not the enemy. I should not be the subject of your hacking. You know, there are things that are done, and there's certainly legitimate criticism to be made. But the -the over-the-top exaggerations and false information that we are putting out undermines legitimate criticism that that we have to make. I I agree with you. I think this, you know, this strategy of throwing everything that they can at the wall hoping something sticks is going to backfire. And I think we're already seeing signs of it because the approval rating of the press, uh, they are less trusted than the administration. Now, that ought to be a wake up call for them. But I think they're so pompous and arrogant and such jackasses that they don't have any sense of self-awareness or any capability of introspection. I'm surprised that after the campaign, as shocked as everybody was on election night, except me and maybe you and a few others who had correctly predicted he might well win or would well win is what I said. Um, I'm surprised that there's been no behavioral changes, and part of that is no personnel changes. I'm not saying you have to fire the people who are wrong, but clearly if they were that wrong for that many months about so many things, shouldn't there be some new people or some new faces that we listen to on the TV news that might be correct about something? And instead, it's sort of like the same players are digging in their heel, and when they make a mistake and report something irresponsibly false, they're sort of patted on the head and allowed to kind of apologize a little and carry on. I mean... Five, ten years ago, that would have drummed you out of our industry. You can't credibly work as a reporter when you make certain basic mistakes so irresponsibly, but now commonly made, and then they just go on or even rewarded with promotion. So, yeah, You know what I would argue? Is, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I would argue. Go ahead. You go. You go. Go ahead. Part of our industry, I think, we've allowed ourselves to be infiltrated by political operatives in the news and corporate operatives. I mean, they work in the news now as journalists. It's not an accident that views are so entrenched and that these things are being allowed to happen. I maintain 
This is part of sort of a long-term plan that has placed people inside news organizations as pundits and even reporters. And that's partly why we're seeing what we see. You know, it's very interesting because I'm not a journalist. I'm a talk show host. And everybody that tunes into my radio show or TV show knows that I have a perspective and a point of view. In all honesty, Cheryl, I believe I give more honesty and truth and analysis that's accurate than they do. Nobody ever vetted Obama before he got into office. It was all hope and change. And, you know, you should hear the clips that I play, you know, against the song Endless Love of, of a media love fest for this guy. It's it's almost like hero worship, cult worship. And, uh, you know, similarly, nobody told the story that he left office and 13 million more Americans were on food stamps, 8 million more in poverty, the lowest labor participation rate since the 70s, the worst recovery since the 40s, the first president never to hit 3% GDP growth in, in all the years he's in office, accumulating as much debt as every other president before him combined. Why did they not tell the truth that Obama really failed? You know, a guy that said $9 trillion in debt is irresponsible, unpatriotic. Well, he doubled the debt. It became impossible, I can only tell you, at CBS, which is one reason I worked very hard to end my contract early there. It became impossible to report on such things. Uh, They wouldn't put that on on television, and that was a relatively new development. Because in the past, there was a balance. You could report successes, and you could report alleged failures, and you could put different views on. And it came to be where, you know, really important things were being ignored or soft-censored, as I like to say, or self-censored. You know, I, I like to think about the treatment that President Obama got in many respects. There were lots of Americans who felt equally as strong against some of what he did as they do about President Trump. And yet, can you imagine if the media had taken the mantle up against Obama on behalf of those Americans or themselves the same way, uh, with the no. same rhetoric and language and vitriol that they're using against this president? It, it would just never happen. Play the Hang on, Cheryl. Game. It just doesn't. Cheryl Atkinson is with us, formerly a CBS News author of Stonewall, My Fight for Truth Against the Forces of Obstruction, Intimidation, and Harassment in Obama's Washington. And we're getting her take on what is a huge media bias in the country today. The Forgotten Man is Forgotten No More. This is the Sean Hannity Show. As we continue, Cheryl Atkinson, formerly of CBS News, we're talking about the war that the media is now waging against Donald Trump. What was your take on the WikiLeaks revelations? I think they were very interesting. I'm not a political reporter. I don't do a lot of political coverage. But certainly to, from my viewpoint, looking at media, to hear and see directly the interactions between some in the news media and the campaign was pretty outrageous. Uh, There have been freedom of information request emails that have been returned that have similar material in there. A lot of that's going to be in my new book, The Smear. But it was very enlightening to see the media coordination with a political campaign. Yeah. I mean, at a very high level, New York Times, Politico, CNN, MSNBC, CNBC, all the major networks, and some way, shape, matter, or form. What do you think about all these fake news stories? I can spend an hour now reading just the headlines of how many instances have occurred. What is your take on it? Well, I think there are a couple things going on. There are the fake news stories, and then there's something I call the fake news counter-propaganda sting operations, meaning it's being put out by the side that you think it's, it's criticizing to make you 
think that an issue is so ridiculous or outlandish that you dismiss it all when, in fact, it's put out by the side trying to make you not think it, if that makes any sense at all. And to be that twisted in the way you think, you have to really study this, which I did for my new book. You know, it's really interesting. I'll give you an example from today. CNN has a reporter that put out an article just today. And the headline is Kellyanne Conway sidelined from TV after Flynn debacle. Well, I'm in Washington today, Cheryl, and I'm doing my show. CPAC really starts tomorrow, but I'm doing a speech there today. And guess who I have? And we're taping the whole show from CPAC. And guess who happens to be a guest on my television show? I assume Kellyanne. Kellyanne Conway. I mean, is that fake news? The, I mean, it just seems it's so hostile and it's so out of control. You know, why remind people what happened to you when you were at CBS? What were the issues you were covering and you were told you, they didn't want that coverage? Well, the first thing it started, I saw, with the BP oil spill. And I was the reporter who got that video of the bubbling crude oil released and aired on national television for the first time. I was asked to jump into that story three weeks in. Um, because it was felt at CBS we needed better coverage. And no reporter had asked for the existence of that video before I came along, apparently, three weeks into it. And then once we started, it was clear it was being seen as, I didn't see it this way, but somehow something the Obama administration perhaps wasn't doing right or may reflect poorly on him. It happened just after he took office. And all of a sudden, they quit wanting to report it after a short period of time. And that became a pattern with one story after another, that it was perceived by somebody reflected upon the Obama administration when I don't think it necessarily did, but perhaps if you look at everything politically, it does. Those stories were stopped and eventually halted altogether where it was almost impossible to get any on. But not just in terms of politicians. I want to make a point. Corporate stories, you know, I did a story on the Boeing Dreamliner that was killed when they were having the fires for the batteries. It was very well received and on the verge of airing, and then it was yanked for reasons unexplained. There were a lot of corporate things going on, pharmaceutical company interests controlling the news. There's so much control, in my view, in what goes on TV now. That's why everybody seems to have the same couple of stories when there's so much news out there. There's only a few stories that are, you know, passable to the powers deciding what gets on. I'm really happy about one thing, and I'm I'm 30 years in radio now, and I know I look a lot younger in your eyes, right? You uh, You look great. And 21 years on Fox— and I've never been told what to cover or not cover. I've never been told what to say or not say. I, awesome. I was hired to do a job as a talk show host, and I, I honestly, I don't get patted on the back when I get good ratings, and I never got patted down when uh, maybe ratings are slower to a slow news period. And they've well, been great to me. It's not necessarily overt, but my colleagues at national print publications as well as other networks complain of the same thing. They're not... We're not necessarily told, don't report on that corporation, don't report on that medicine, don't report on that politician. There are just implausible excuses and reasons why things don't air. And you get the message and you start looking for other stories. It's, it's like I say, self-censorship or a soft censorship that happens most of the time. All right, Cheryl Atkinson, thanks for being with us. When we come back, we'll hit the phones, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour. Sean Hannity Show, toll-free telephone number, 800-941-SEAN, in D.C. today. And, well, CPAC officially doesn't start till tomorrow, but I am kind of doing an early preview CPAC. 
and giving a speech because I will not be here on Thursday and Friday because of other commitments. So uh, we're actually going to carry in the first segment of the show. I'm doing my monologue. I'm going to ad lib the whole thing. I'm not nothing I'm planning uh, in front of the audience uh, at the start of the show. And then we've got Kellyanne Conway and Sebastian Gorka and some other people from the administration that will be joining us on the early CPAC stage at the Gaylord if you want to come on down. I don't know if this – I have no idea who's going. I just don't. And I just know it will be the show tonight on Hannity, 10 Eastern, on the Fox News Channel. Um, oh, I've got some really interesting news about Keith Ellison. Keith Ellison now has a 2-1 to lead as it relates in the race for the DNC chair. I mean, this guy who has a widespread reputation for staunchly defending that radical anti-Semite and racist Louis Farrakhan has now opened up a two-to-one lead among the Democratic Party delegates who say they want him to head the party. Anyway, two-to-one lead over Labor Secretary Tom Perez. Democrats said to Atlanta Saturday, and in the lead-up to this vote, I'm all in favor. If Democrats want to go hard, radical, left, let them go all the way, all in. Now, Farrakhan, it just so happens, was speaking at a gathering in Detroit over the weekend. And what were the attendees chanting? We should get this tape. Allahu Akbar, as Farrakhan made his way onto the stage. Allahu Akbar, the very words, yeah, that radical Islamic terrorists use when they kill innocent men, women, and children at the Joe Louis Arena. And then he went on to denounce people that are Jewish and told them they are not God's chosen people. I want to disabuse the Jews today of the false claim that you are the chosen of God, that Israel or Palestine belongs to you. I want to disabuse you of that, and I'm going to tell you about your future. You that think you have the power to frighten and dominate the peoples of the world, I'm here to announce the end of your time, he said, slamming his hand into the podium, according to the report that I'm reading from. He blamed the world's ills on white people. For 6,000 years, the people of Earth have suffered under a mischief-making rule. Bloodshed and war and hatred and strife, all because a man with a new color or lack thereof thought he was better than all those who inhabited the earth before he was even a thought. But I am here to announce, I don't know if he's suggesting, does he believe in creation? I don't even know. But I'm here to announce today the end of the world and the beginning of a brand new reality that all human beings will enjoy, peace, freedom, justice, equality, under the rule of Allah. Farrakhan said he wants to work with Obama to curb Chicago out-of-control violence. Wasn't that nice of him to be so considerate? A little late there, screwy Louie. 4,000 people, 80% black Americans, killed when Obama was president. Maybe you could have said this in year one or two, not year nine, after he's out of office. There's a free beacon story that quoted a classmate and people that work with Ellison. They say he traveled with the Nation of Islam security detail and said, classmate said, Keith Ellison said, Jews want to oppress minorities all over the world. He backed out of a radical Muslim conference, but Ellison blames bad reporting on past comments praising Louis Farrakhan. After two terms in his state legislator, the Democratic former Labor Party, Minnesota's Democratic Party, endorsed him for an open house seat, but revelations followed about late filings, income taxes, campaign finance, Finance reports, unpaid moving violations, parking tickets. I don't care about that. Most damaging, his claims, he's associated with Screwy Louie, Louis Farrakhan, Nation of Islam, the guy that was getting the Allahu Akbar chants this weekend. And uh, it's pretty interesting. 
when you look at you know what the connections are here, Ellison said he'd never been a member, but he had spent 18 months organizing for the Million Man March and a Minnesota contingent. As a matter of fact, we got a hold of this uh, audio. Let's play it. that nice now it turns out that in a response to a piece that was written by a student at the university of minnesota ellison wrote an uh, under an assumed name at the time keith hakeem the other student had written that louis farrakhan was no malcolm x and keith ellison wrote the single most distinguishing characteristic of the nation of islam from a black perspective is the nation's message of economic self-determination he defended Farrakhan against allegations of racism by saying racism, racism means conspiracy to subjugate and actual subjugation. That means planned social, economic and political subjugation of whites. It cannot be intellectually argued that the nation of Islam is doing this. In fact, blacks have no history of harming or uh, subjecting whites as a class. That's what he said. Now, here's an interesting thing, because I have a series of quotes of Farrakhan over the years. One of the ones I often quoted was uh, the God that teaches me about the white man, that white man is the skunk of the planet Earth. I believe that was from his newspaper, The Roll Call. Then there was the Judaism is a gutter religion term and other things. So if he's got a two to one lead heading into Saturday, he compared George W. Bush to Hitler after the Rodney King verdicts in the country. And, um, you know, he went on to say he was quoted in the Star Tribune saying black people do not live under a democracy. You don't have an obligation to obey a government that considers you to be less than human. You don't have a right to obey the law. He's a lawmaker now. Interesting. Very interesting. He compared Bush just like they're doing out of Donald Trump. This is a frequent attack by the left compared the Bush administration to Adolf Hitler and his consolidation of power in Nazi Germany. And he called 9-11 the juggernaut that led to war, tolerating torture, increased discrimination against religious minorities. It's almost like the Reichstag Reichstag, uh, fire kind of reminds me of that, he said. After the Reichstag was burned, they blamed communists for it. And they put a leader in that country in a position that he could basically have authority to do whatever he wanted. And he goes on from there. That sounds like the Democratic Party. Is that your values? Any now, if such a person was ever elected the head of the Republican Party, I would or I'm a registered conservative. I would not be a part of that party. That person's views are incompatible with all human decency. And if that's the direction the Democratic Party is headed, well, good luck. Good luck to you with that, because you're going to own Keith Ellison now for as many years as you keep him in that position. All right, let's go to our busy uh, telephones here. As we say hi to Joe, is in Vegas, K Dawn Radio. What's up, Joe? How are you? John, how are you? I'm good, sir. What can I do for you? Well, I've been listening to you. Uh, I'm surprised that you're on uh, back here uh, in Vegas. Good for you. 
Uh, but the thing is, is that, you know, uh, you're saying that the press is attacking Donald Trump. Donald Trump attacked the press. Donald Trump is basically that they threw it down. He want, he's been calling them despicable people since his since his uh, his primaries. So the reality is, he he hits, we hit back harder. That's all there is to it. He's in a spin. His problem is Russia. His associations where he does he doesn't know people, but he does know people. For example, you got Felix. Give me, uh, give me the, give me the proof. Give me the proof because James Clapper. No, no, no. I'm asking. I'm FBI investigations. Okay, I didn't ask you about an investigation. Stop, stop. You want to have a conversation? Calm down. Take a breath. Give me the proof that the Russians hacked our election. Give me the proof. The FBI said they have. Nobody. James Clapper. James. Excuse me. James Clapper made a comment specifically saying that there's no evidence that any vote in any way fashion or form was ever impacted by anybody outside this country. That's why there's three FBI investigations going on right okay. now. Well, 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 so you don't have the evidence. You're, wait, so you don't have the evidence, so you're hoping that the FBI gets you the evidence. Why don't you just be honest about it? No, it's not hope. It's fact. Let's go by a Okay, well, 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 no, no, no. It's an investigation. Hold on. Investigation has to come to a conclusion before it becomes a fact, just like a hypothesis becomes a theory before it eventually becomes a law. So there's certain truths that are self-evident here. And just because you think there's an investigation going on with the FBI, you have no idea what they're actually investigating. But if you have any evidence that the Russians hacked our election and Donald Trump colluded with them to do it, I'd like to see it. Do you have, any, do you have that evidence you can present on this program today, yes or no? You know something? I will get you that information. You will get I it. Will so get you don't have it. So the answer, is, the answer is no, you don't have it. So what you said is false. You lied to my audience, and you're no better than all the people that write all this fake news with all your innuendo. You're just like the New York Times. Anyway, have a good day. I really enjoyed my checkmate on you. That was fun. Uh, let's go to Brad Panama City, Florida, next. Hey, Sean. What's up, Thank Brad? You my call. Yes, sir. Sean, I want to run something by you. I think Democrats are getting too much airtime, and I hope our great president, Donald Trump, is listening. I think he should reopen the investigation into Hillary Clinton, so that way we scurry the Democrats down a different path because Chuck Schumer is getting way too much airtime. Nancy Pelosi is getting way too much airtime. John McCain is getting way too much airtime, and Lindsey Graham. And I would just like to shut them up and well, send them down a different direction. I understand what you're saying, but that's not his call. The president should not politicize or criminalize political differences. Now, I do believe that this warrants an investigation, a grand jury, and frankly, I think based on all the laws that I've examined and the behavior we've confirmed about Hillary Clinton having the server, for example, in a mom-and-pop shop, in a bathroom, in a closet— violated and was designed to violate congressional oversight, which is against the law and it violates many laws. Similarly, I believe that there is substantial evidence of quid pro quo money being paid and back channeled to the Clintons vis-a-vis speech money at astronomical rates and vis-a-vis also uh, the Clinton Foundation that they would funnel money to. So I'd like to see that investigated, but that's going to be the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, call, not President Trump's. Well, I, I hope they do it because, I mean, l- listening to your show every day, I've learned even Obama was in on those emails. 
and so many Democrats would go down if there was a true investigation into this. Well, look, I think there's legitimate reason to do so. I was frankly a little disappointed when Donald Trump said, oh, I don't want to hurt the Clintons. Oh, let's move on. Uh, you know, I, I, that's not how the rule of law works in this country. You don't get special access just because your last name is Clinton. Anyway, Brad, appreciate it. Thank you. 800-941-SEAN. Will is in Chicago on the answer. When uh, Will, how are you? Glad you called, sir. I'm good, Sean. It's a pleasure to talk to you, and it's great watching you every night. It really is. Um, Thank you, my friend. Listen, I just had a, I just had a question. And, and by the way, two thumbs up with your all your uh, your you know your balanced uh, you know media coverage. I really appreciate that. My my question to you, Sean, is this: is you've talked about how much propaganda there is and lack of objectivity there is in the national media. You couldn't be more right. But the Trump administration knew this was Spicer going into all this, and I have had the you know, not the fortunate displeasure of watching these, uh, you know, um, these conferences. And it's ridiculous. He calls on the same people all the time, the MSNBC, CNN, the same culprits day in and day out. And my question to you is, who else can they bring in? Because, for example, there was a, just a question yesterday where they said, a woman asked him, is this a Band-Aid on a cancerous administration? And, I mean, at that point, Sean Spicer said, excuse me, you're suggesting that the Trump administration is cancerous? There was another question. Excuse me, Mr. Spicer, Bill Maher said this. To which Spicer should have said, excuse me, Bill Maher is not a journalist. He's not a reporter. He's a comedian. What are we asking here? I just feel like Spicer has kind of, he needs to toughen up a little bit, Sean. And I wish you, if you get an opportunity to talk to him, you can say to him, listen, go out there. You don't have to call on these people. There's no, there's, there's no law that says you have to call on these people. So why call on them? Bring other conservatives or objective people into that room via Skype or wherever and just ignore these people. Do they deserve any less? Well, look, he's got the he's got a brutal job. I mean, I, I can sympathize with him because, <laughs> you know, look, one of the pro- he's not the president. He's not in the position to fight back the way the president can. And he represents the president. So he's got to be very careful what he says, how he says it. But, you know, frankly, I think he's doing a good job. It's the same old media. He's dealing with a hostile audience there every day. And he can't do what I just did to the caller before you and checkmate him. He just can't. It just it doesn't work that way. That's why I'm here and he's there and he can keep his job. I would never want it. Focused on finding solutions to today's biggest problems. This is The Hannity Show. John Hannity. things up for today tonight Hannity 10 Eastern on the Fox News Channel set your DVR CPAC officially opens tomorrow we're kind of doing an early kickoff today for all the early arrivers as I can't be here tomorrow or Friday so uh, I hope you can tune in tonight you'll have part of my speech from CPAC we'll also have administration officials Kellyanne Conway who CNN told us was sidelined from TV magically will show up on the air tonight so we'll get to that at 10 Eastern also Sebastian Gorka other administration officials will take uh, some questions from the audience. We're going to have a rocking time, a lot of footballs, and a, a lot of fun you'll be able to witness, all right?
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.